0: Welcome to the Healing She Got Faith show. Happy Monday. This is Lily. She Got Faith, your self-love advocate, and you're listening to us on Total Entertainment Radio. And I'm super excited today because I have a very, very special guest. She's from my hometown. She's a beautiful soul. So if everybody can help me welcome Alana. Hi.
1: Hello, hello, hello. Good afternoon. Uh, Thank you for having me. Um, I appreciate anybody who allows me the opportunity to take up space on their platforms. I definitely do not take that lightly. So thank you. Yes, thank you. you. So
0: so how Alana got on the show, y'all, was back in 2017, we had actually gotten an award together. Um, at a community event, King of Distinctions, and then ever since then, I had just kind of followed her on her journey, and she started the Kinloch documentary, which I'm definitely gonna have her talk about that. If you see this on YouTube, I got the shirt on, <laughs> um, and pretty much, I pretty much became like one of Alana's fangirls. Like, I loved everything <laughs> she was doing, <laughs> like her TikToks be lit, her Instagram, Facebook, and um, in February, Um, I was doing two things, which was I wanted to talk about different types of love. So like in this episode, you'll hear about like her love for her work and how she just transitioned into her current position, but also to um, Miss Black History Month. So throughout this month, we will be bringing on local businesses to make sure that we're supporting um, black black owned businesses during this month so with that being said of course we can't bring alana without doing our icebreaker so and i got a new card of decks so if you so my followers so we have a new card of decks which this is called self care um self-care wisdom cards so alana you just tell me how to split the deck up tell me what you want to pick and i'll read them to you i'll pick a card too and then we'll kind of just discuss it
1: um let's pull from the middle from the middle
0: uh i split it in half so which uh the The blue the blue card i knew you was gonna pick that (laughs) (laughs) so this one is energy and on the back it says uh stop trying to please everyone everyone is a whole lot of people protect your energy The, well, face.
1: <laughs> okay. the face. The face it all. all right. um,
0: did you want to pick another card or are you cool with that one? I'm, I'm cool with that one. Okay. Uh, it's
1: an ongoing theme. The ongoing theme. So it resonates mm-hmm. with you? Definitely. Mm-hmm. Um, as a former proclaimed uh, people pleaser, um definitely resonates it's something that m- my therapist and myself have been working through uh, the past year because naturally i'm an empath like i i carry people's energy i carry people's feelings and so the last thing i want to do is uh make somebody upset or mm-hmm. disappointed mm-hmm. um never intentionally but even if it happens in general um learning to stand on my intent um if i am wrong in something you know expressing you know my sorry for doing so but if it's just me doing something that i want or something that i enjoy and then somebody just don't like it i just i can't hold on to that and so Mm. like i said that's that's a whole lot of people and if i keep carrying that stuff just gonna get too heavy to where i can't hold on to nothing for myself so it is a work in progress it's an active practice it's a daily practice um, one day I'll be fine. The next day I'll be like, I feel like I'm starting completely over. But I understand that that process also is not linear. So Right. Right. I, that's something so good, because
0: I often talk about like a lot of the processes that we have, like especially with talking about grief and just like just pain It's never linear. Like you could be cool one day and then the next day it's like I'm triggered again. And mm-hmm. so like especially like those of us that are in therapy or like getting the help that we need. It's like, like you said, you could be doing so good. And then the next thing you like, psh, back at square one. So, uh-huh. yes. Okay. So I'll put that card in the show notes. I picked the card too. And it says action. And the back says baby steps are still steps and they're better than standing still, which that speaks to my life because I feel like I'm so hard on myself when it comes to just doing anything like Just not giving myself credit because I'm not taking the bigger steps that I like I'm forcing myself to do, but really like taking baby steps and just giving myself grace like baby steps are still steps. It may not be the end goal. It may not be what I like my full vision, but it's still something that I'm doing. Like even this morning, I had the little municipality that my building is in and like I feel like they came in just so hard and I'm like, look, y'all. Like, I've been doing the steps. It's not where you need it to be, but, like, we still mm-hmm. here making progress. And so it's it's going back to that thing of, like, people pleasing, trying to do everything at once, trying to hold every the weight of the world on your shoulders. And really, mm-hmm. like, we were just never meant to do that or be in that particular space to have that. So... Baby steps are still steps. <laughs> mm-hmm. And then, what did you say? Stop trying to please everyone. I mean, yeah, so baby steps are still steps and
1: stop trying to please everyone. So we got some, look, we got some process today. I think of baby steps, I'm like, that gives me time to prepare for what's on the other side. Because mm-hmm. a lot of times we tend to rush our process and we're not even prepared for Mm. what we're about to receive so those baby steps those incremental steps allows me the the time to to garner my energy to learn um to make mistakes when i'm not allowed is at risk right now and and to pace myself into the new territory that i'm seeking out yeah
0: that that is really good because i i do think so like in my healing now I've been at a place where I'm thinking like, am I really prepared for what I want? Am I really prepared for that next big thing? Like, like I just wrote a book, I got this radio station, I just purchased a building and like in my head, like I'm ready to do all these community projects. But at the same time, I know my anxiety. I know where I'm at in my healing journey. I'm like, am I really prepared for all of this? Like, because mm-hmm. if I'm being completely honest, I'm such a crier, and at the drop mm-hmm. of a dime, I just cry about anything. Like, and it's just like, am I really ready? Yeah.
1: <laughs> like,
0: am I really yeah. ready for that? So, I like I appreciate that you said that. So, yes, okay. Well, that was our icebreaker. We're gonna take a quick break, and when we come back, Miss Alana's gonna tell us who she is and what she's been doing.
1: All right.
0: All right. And we are back. All right. So, Alana, who are you? Just give us a little background of mm-hmm. your world. <laughs>
1: yeah. It's like how I do all the things, but I am a visual storyteller. Uh, based out of St. Louis, Missouri, um, I am an only girl. I am a one of three um, to my parents. And uh, professionally, I am a senior social media manager for a fintech company. Creatively, I am a documentarian and archivist. I love highlighting underrepresented people in places and spaces, and um, time stamping moments in time. Um, to create things that'll live beyond myself. Um, I am a cornball. I find everything funny. Everything, everything funny. My husband says all the time, I was like, Alana, you don't take nothing serious. And I'm like, there's a lot in this world that is actively trying to steal my joy. So I have to come <laughs> twice as hard with things that make me laugh. Um, I am a mother to a, an amazing um, daughter. Her name is Addison and she's 12. And yeah, that's as far as thirty-one-year-old Alana, That's it for today. So ask me in about six months, and I'm sure I'll be. <laughs> else.
0: I love it. It sounds like it sounds like you got a lot going on. Which I I mm-hmm. have a note to ask you about, like your new position, because like I said, I've been following you on TikTok, and your TikToks would give me life. <laughs> so I have notes, but um before we get started can you discuss with us a time that you dealt with grief and it doesn't necessarily have to deal with death if, if it does like that's fine mm-hmm. um but a time that you do deal, you dealt with grief what did it look like for you how did you get through and were you able to turn your pain into passion so mm-hmm. i know that's a lot so you could just remember what you remember and just kind of walk us through what that mm-hmm. looked
1: like um I would say definitely most recently so uh this day last year um i went to the emergency room um, for what i now know to be uh, an ulcerative colitis diagnosis and so i went to the emergency room because i had terrible abdominal pains i didn't know what was going on and i was there for four days and um after getting a colonoscopy six weeks later I got um, a a chronic illness diagnosis. And so just hearing the words chronic, hearing the word disease, hearing, you know, it's not curable, but it is treatable. Um, And just the the stinging of those words. And so how essentially your life can change in a matter of moments. Like I just remember the night before making spaghetti and Mm -hmm. eating some, and then my stomach just started hurting. Um, literally. And then the next day it didn't stop hurting. And so I'm like, okay, now I'm at the point I need to go to the hospital um, to get into this point. That's how random it happened. And then over the course of the next 12 months is just me navigating um, who this new person is with this diagnosis. Like, what does that mean for me? Like um, I started the year last year at 179 pounds. By March, I was 145. And so just that rapid weight loss and, you know, people asking me, I mean, I'm, I've been very candid about my diagnosis and how I'm managing, but just stepping on the scale and, and just like, I don't like how this feels, trying on clothes, and it doesn't look the way that I wanted to. And so I was definitely grieving um, my old self. And yeah a person who was just able to, you know, get up and I want to go get something to eat. This is what I want. This is what I desire. I don't, I don't have to be intentional. I don't have to think about it. I can just go. Now I have to be intentional with majority of my decisions because of the impact that it could then have on how my body responds to it. Mm. Um, I am now someone that has to take prescribed medication twice a day, every day for my foreseeable future. Um, I've been poked and prodded with blood draws in the past 12 months more than I care to continue to and it's also like but I'm, I'm grateful I'm grateful for access to healthcare. I'm grateful that this has forced me to be more in tune with my body um, and not just put anything in it yeah um, but that intentionality gets exhausting because I'm always thinking I'm mm-hmm. always thinking and then I was diagnosed with anxiety Back in 2019, health anxiety specifically, and I'm like the worst thing that can happen to somebody with health anxiety is to get a justification for their health anxiety, right? <laughs> and so I'm like, God damn, I can't win for losing. Um, okay. And so I still, again, it's, it's it's not a linear process. Like I, you know, even now when I try on stuff and I don't like how it fit, and I'm like, I'm you know, now I'm at a place where 145. 149 is like my standard weight i've been able to maintain that and my husband had to let me know was like alana how do you even know what you weighed before was supposed to be your normal weight like you weren't Mm -hmm. tending to your body you weren't you weren't eating the way that you were supposed to eat granted 15 of those were covid pounds but if i've been able to maintain the weight that i have now it's like how do you know that this wasn't supposed to be how your body was supposed to be this entire time Right. And I was like, first of all, lower your voice. <laughs> okay, husband. <laughs> Second of all, you may be right. But it was just different. It's just different. I was like having to go on the menu before I go out to eat to see if they have, you mm-hmm. know, stuff, like how you know accessible is the bathroom. Like I remember going out of the country for the first time after mm-hmm. my diet, two months after my diagnosis. And they talk about like traveler's travelers diarrhea and don't drink the water. And I'm just like, I just want to have fun. Like, I don't want to think like nobody. We were on the resort and they got the little cabana making Mexican food and everybody eating nachos and and, and chicken quesadillas and, and dairy is a huge flare factor for me. So I asked the guy, I'm like, can you make me a chicken quesadilla without the cheese? And he just looked at me. I'm like, yeah, just make me a chicken quesadilla without the cheese. So now I'm more comfortable, but it was just, I have my days that yeah. I just miss my old carefree mm-hmm. self. Yeah. But for my survival and my healing, I have to be intentional. Exactly. Exactly.
0: I man, thank you for sharing that. Um man. So this is someone who I got diagnosed with situational depression and anxiety. And then on top of that, I'm diabetic. And then this year I got diagnosed with high cholesterol. So I'm like, okay, here we go. <laughs> so, okay. So I went from taking metformin since I was 15, which I actually found out I had diabetes when my father passed away when I was 15. Mm-hmm. He passed so young that they was pretty much, the doctors was like, all the kids need to get tested because ain't no way Mm-hmm. he that young and just croaked for like no reason whatsoever so we found out that like diabetes high cholesterol and all that ran in the family but i didn't grow up in a household where we really knew what nutrition was when like now that I'm older i realized we were really just surviving because there really wasn't enough food or money in the house mm-hmm. so like honestly and I tell this story to a lot of people like honestly like i remember growing up and my mom like, really and honestly believing that like a bagel with butter was so healthy for us but uh, you know as i've gotten older like realizing like well she didn't know like that's what she lived off of and so as i've gotten older and i've struggled with weight and my weight has been a huge issue with like my depression as far as like self-esteem and things of that nature and i just turned 30 in october and i feel like my body is like hey we're 30 now (laughs) Had to do things a little differently and so that has been really different for me too because I like I felt like I had my anxiety under control and then I got diagnosed with a high cholesterol and got put on another medicine because not only did I get put on that medicine I got put on the heartburn medicine because the heartburn was so real like I was like I can't deal with this so it was really hard for me to like I had came to that moment where I was like man like I got to be more conscious. Like I was already thinking about stuff as far as with the diabetes, but like the heartburn that has a lot to do with your weight and what you eat too. So like going through that and really being like, okay, we're three pills in a day. Like, (laughs) like gotta figure that out. So, um so yeah, thank you. Thank you so much for sharing that. How has like learning that and being comfortable with it, like help you, like in your professional world and like being a mother being a wife like did it have any effect on that uh
1: greatly it was it was forcing me to um one having to come to terms with myself like i I, I want to be here and i also also have a fear and anxiety of death as a whole like just the the concept of just the permanence of it um right and so after learning this like I have two I, I had two aunts pass away from uh, colon cancer. Uh, one uh, was 33. So super, super young. She was 30 when she got diagnosed and died at 33. And then another aunt, um, she had ulcerative colitis as well. That was her, wow. her diagnosis. And then 20 years later, it migrated to colon cancer. So learning about IBD and how I'm eight times more likely to get that myself. So I know it runs in my family. So that right. was constantly running in my head. Um, it makes me sad sometimes when I'm I'm with my daughter because she's growing so much and now she's definitely at a point where she needs me more because I mean, she's a preteen like you know preteen right. teenager like I ain't going nowhere right <laughs> and so it's like I wanna I wanna be here mm-hmm. and like I've always wanted to be here but like it's something about getting faced with those things like no I, I wanna I wanna be here like right. I I know I don't have control over everything like life happens and circumstances happens but if there's anything that is within my control right what I eat, how I work out, um, all of that has, you know, I, I do have somewhat control over. And so this experience has kind of put me in a position to, like, I'm going to design my life. Like, mm-hmm. I, I actually just made a post today how prior to the job I got now, I had never made more than 40K.
0: And mm-hmm.
1: so um, even with all of my experience, my master's degree, my education experience, like, even making this film, my mindset was very limited on my earning potential because I had never – done it I mean so while I grew up upper middle class um it was still that that limitation like my mom is extremely frugal uh my dad be spending money and so just (laughs) didn't have really good money habits and now I'm in debt with you know health debt and and medical bills and I'm like I don't I'm not gonna keep living like this exactly what what is something that I can do and so towards the end of last year i'm like that's that's the last time my bank account is going to dictate what i can and cannot do mm-hmm. like i can't control this autoimmune disorder but i can i can you know influence my quality of life with it i can right. be at peace knowing that okay I'm, I'm gonna cut i'm gonna pay this debt off um so it's no longer hovering over me because stress is also another factor so i, mm-hmm. I had to start shifting my mindset to say like what what do I have control over? What, exactly. what can I amplify? What can I enhance? What can I help? Um, and that's what it's kind of forced me to do. It's it's had me reevaluate some relationships, like really mm-hmm. seeing, you know, who is here for me, who will support me, like while I'm in the hospital. You don't have to come visit me, but like where where is your energy? Exactly. And it, you know, help me put things in check there. Like having more um, candid conversations with my parents, about afterlife plans. Like, yes, it's hella uncomfortable to talk about, but while y'all are grieving, I want everything else to be taken care mm-hmm. of. Like, Addison, mm-hmm. I have to, well, where's the money? Where's her documents? Like, it's all in one place, mm-hmm. you know, grieve knowing that everything else is taken care of. And so exactly. I'm way more intentional with my decision making now, because I'm like, I don't want to, I've, I've witnessed too many fallouts. Right. You know, that that happens after a person leaves and they're, they're not affected by it because they're gone. Everybody else got to deal with all the extra stuff. And exactly. Like, I don't want that for me. I don't want that exactly. for my family. Um, And so, yeah, like you said, turning 30, it's like when you turn 30, your body just is like, <laughs> like I'm telling you,
0: you hear that, but like when you actually turn 30 and then you feel it, you like
1: right? we don't crickets and creeps and, and back stiffness and soreness and, and can't eat spicy food. I'm just and like, I listen,
0: that's the one for me because I was the spicy food queen. And so when I turned 30, I can't order no more hot wings. I can't order
1: no, no more. This don't feel the same. This don't, <laughs> don't feel, I miss seafood so much. I miss <laughs> fe- it ain't the seafood, it's the butter. Ain't no point in eating seafood if I can't dip it in the butter. But that butter, like, it just, it's it just adds a little, it's like, oh. but I can't. My body's like, no. Man, no, we yeah, are gonna not doing louder. I'm gonna keep getting louder until you hear me. Oh, it sucks. It sucks so much. It
0: does. It does. Oh my goodness! Thank you so much for sharing that. We're gonna take another quick break. When we come back, we're gonna talk about the Kinloch documentary. And we are back with Miss Alana. Yes, got a special <laughs> guest. This is a grief beyond death. She is our first. Um guest of february so we are so excited if you missed the first part y'all missed the good one y'all mm-hmm. gonna have to catch it on the replay because that, <laughs> that was she told the story y'all but yes yeah, so let us know like the projects you're doing how we can find you what you're specializing in and i do have a couple questions but i want to give you the opportunity to you know brag on yourself give yourself flowers okay
1: <laughs> Um, so, I am the director of the Kinloch Doc, which is a story about the rise and demise of Missouri's first Black city. And so, the city of Kinloch is an all-Black community within St. Louis County. Typically, when I reference Kinloch, especially for people who aren't f- too familiar with St. Louis, I'm like, it's right next door to Ferguson. It's the sister city to Ferguson. Um, it was Missouri's first Black incorporated city. It was one of the largest all-Black cities in the country during its prime. Um, a lot of firsts happened in Kenlock. Uh, Maxine Waters is from there. Dick Gregory's from there. Jennifer Lewis is from there. I always do the fun fact of like Michael Jackson's love interest in Thriller, Ola Ray. She's from there. Um, and my family is from there. And so doing this story, uh, I got the idea to do the documentary when I was a graduate student at the Brown School of Social Work. So that is where I was taking courses on social and economic development understanding how policies um, and practices impact communities of color. Um, And so Kinloch was one of those communities that we kind of talked about in class. And I'm like, you know, I know a little bit about it because my family's from there, but I don't know too much because by the time I was born, you know, my family was gone from the city. And so naturally, I, I turn my research hat on when I'm super inquisitive about something. Like if it's something that piques my interest, I get really relentless on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I remember making a Facebook post on August twenty, October 28, twenty sixteen, and said, mm-hmm. is, "Is there a documentary about Ken Locke? If so, what is the name?" And my friend Jaque Rogers was like, "Why don't you make one?" And I'm like, "Okay." I
0: love this story so much. <laughs>
1: That's literally how it happened. I'm like, "Y'all don't do that." When y'all when y'all be daring me to do stuff like that, I'll I'll do it. Like I will le- legit. My husband was like, "Alana, really?" I'm like, "I just I'm gonna figure it out." So that turned to YouTube videos. And I remember going on Kickstarter and like searching for uh, the most top funded films to see like, well, what does their page look like? Who do they have attached to that project? Like what makes a successful project? This was way before I ever, you know, held a camera. I didn't know anything about the technical part of filmmaking. So I reached out to, Local filmmakers and, and for those who responded back to me uh, at coffee shops and just kind of got their process. And I met with like former Kinloch residents and just kind of got their stories. And so it was like eight or nine months of informational interviews, just trying to get in as much information as I could. Um, it wouldn't leave. And that's how I know when things are aligned because they don't they don't go away. It continues wow. to to bother me and to pro me until I do something with it. But I was able to complete the film um, in uh, August of 2021. And I premiered it at the St. Louis International Film Festival by way of a successful Kickstarter campaign that happened in April of 2020. So we raised over $28,000 to put towards wow. the finishing of the film, which was amazing, but the most stressful time. You know, April of 2020 was at the height of COVID. Exactly. So I'm like, am I really going to sit up and ask people for money for it? this film and people are losing jobs, people are dying. Like, I wasn't going to do it. And my yeah. campaign manager was like, Alana, yes, we are in a trying time, but everybody is not hurting the same way. And every, mm-hmm. everybody isn't hurting. Like, it's, it's a harsh reality, but everybody is not hurting. Like, give mm-hmm. people the opportunity to support you exactly. and to say yeah, yeah, or nay. Like, if mm-hmm. they don't have it, they don't have it. So I was like, okay. And then I ended up getting more than, my campaign was four weeks. I met my goal in three. Um which to me was like amazing. So I started doing consultations for crowdfunding campaigns, and other projects came up like for through Ferguson and in Books and Bros, where I was able to capture some video content there. And mm-hmm. then I started working with um Humans of St. Louis. And Lindy Drew, the founder of Humans of St. Louis, taught me how to do photography. I' like, I got this camera. It's a hell. Wow. What do all the buttons do? And so she brought me on <laughs> as a storyteller, and she trained me. Like we walked through the streets of St. Louis and she trained me on how to be a photographer. Um, and then moving to Dallas, brand photography is really big here. And so I became a brand photography, a f- brand photographer because that's what the demand was down here. And so just really expanding on my creativity. And, of course, people coming to me for coaching and consulting mm-hmm. and how do you do this? I'm like, y'all, just really take the skill sets that you have and enhance and amplify them. Like, I, ain't yeah. go to, I went to school for social work. Likewise. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Likewise,
1: you know, I, I and I get questions all the time. like, do. I think college is necessary. Eh. Mm-hmm. If I hadn't have gone, I wouldn't have done the kind like that because right. that spark and the inspiration would not have been there. My network that I have would not be there. Do I think it is worth forty k a year? Oh um, no, <laughs> everything happens for a reason. But yeah, all things creative. Like I love documentaries. I love learning people's stories. I love capturing people on camera and saving things and photo albums and like I've always been an archivist like I would go out of town and save old receipts to show that I went out of town. and like I right. like the city that I was in like stuff that you know my Addison and future children will be able to look at my stuff yeah. um, when I'm no longer here and my grandmother had tubs and tubs and tubs of photo albums and just people that I don't know who they are but she took pictures everywhere she went exactly and, um i want to be able to do that i yeah. be able to do that
0: yeah i love that i love that so much like i'm that person i have journals and journals of things that i've just wrote about i am the person i have a cell phone full of photos and videos that i've probably never shared but if whenever my time comes and my family goes through my google drive my Shutterfly, like this girl was just out here taking pictures
1: mm-hmm. <laughs> so That's i beautiful.
0: i love that i you know, I, a, part of that comes from I've lost so many people. And when my father passed, like iPhones and stuff weren't big. And mm-hmm. I left the tub of photos with a family friend and she threw them out. And so, like, mm-hmm. I lost all those photos of my dad. You know what I'm saying? so it's like now I cherish those moments, whether I post them or not. Like, I'm so bad at social media. Like, mm-hmm. I, like I said, I got like a, probably 10,000 photos and videos on my phone and they just be sitting there. I mean, I go through them. I mean, like, oh, mm-hmm. I remember when I was there, but mm-hmm. no, I, I really appreciate what you said, too, because likewise, I went to school to be a social worker. But like for me, I discovered writing and I discovered speaking. And I had discovered that I was actually really good at like programming community development, but I was actually a really phenomenal speaker, which mm-hmm. I never gave myself credit for. So like now that I Opened my own business and started doing my own thing. Like people are like, but you, but you're supposed to be like taking babies away or something, and you know, like <laughs> I, every time, like people are like, how do you? And you know, what's interesting in my shoes is I never once did micro social work. I always did macro. sorry Exactly. Like you know my that in my ministry. that's not my ministry. It, mm-hmm. Even today, people day, people are like, have you ever thought about going clinical? No, because no. I'm going back to school and I'm not going back to get supervised. So no. no.
1: I'm okay. I'm all right.
0: (laughs) So, and and I, I I feel the same way about school, right? I don't think I would have ever found my voice without the experiences and things that I did. Do I think it's worth the money? Mm. Mm. I would have rather not paid it if that gives you an answer.
1: Fine.
0: Yeah. You know, but like. I released the book in October and I got this radio show like literally a couple weeks later. And I do feel like, like I said, things align in that space. And also too, if you read my book, I talk about when I was 15 and I used to want to be a DJ and I envisioned myself on the radio and then here comes 30 year old Lisa and I'm not doing music no more, but Hey, I'm on the radio. So at that point, I felt like 15 year old Lisa and 30 year old Lisa literally came and met each other. It was uh-huh. like oh, what's the, you made it. You made it in life. Like that's what's up. That's beautiful. <laughs> like that's beautiful. so thank you. Thank you. And I do um so I do really like that, which that was one of the like one of the questions I did have for you too, because like you went from like social work and nonprofit to now like you're working in this new position. And uh-huh. I did, uh And two, I want you to talk about your iPhone class because that, okay. Okay. (laughs) So like, can you kind of just give us a glimpse of like, what's the difference? Like, can you, like, what's the difference between like then and now? And like, just really the, because what I've seen watching you over the years is I feel like I see everything you went through has just fueled your passion. And now like, You're just here, like, living, and I'm here for it.
1: Received. (laughs) No, I, so I I went to school at Mizzou uh, and got a bachelor's in communication. I came out in 2012. So I I have a bachelor's in uh, communication and a minor in marketing. So I've always had a passion for the arts in that way. Like, I started as a writer. I started as a blogger. I had my own blog. Um, And then I wrote for other national publications. So I would get paid to write articles for like X on Nicole and Blavity and The Root. Um, But I just didn't know how to merge my passion for content creation and service because I'm also like, I'm writing all this stuff, but I was also at the time um, heavy into like single father advocacy. So I worked Mm -hmm. at the Father Support Center. I did research on like child support policies and... Um, I was a teen parent mentor while I was up there. Um, so I was heavy into the service side. And so, of course, when you when you go to school, you're conditioned to, to choose a lane. Mm-hmm. I remember I wanted to, I had planned to stay in Columbia and go um, get my master's in human development and family studies. And I had went to go take the GRE. My driver's license was expired and they did not let me take the test. And so I couldn't apply because I couldn't take the GRE. And I'm like, look, I guess I'm supposed to move back to the crib. And I (laughs) moved back to St. Louis. And my advisor at Mizzou at the time had told me about an opportunity through AmeriCorps. And um, it was called the Missouri College Advising Corps. And they take recent college grads and place them in underrepresented high schools across the state of Missouri. So it's St. Louis, Kansas City, and like the Hill of Missouri. I am going to the Hill of Missouri. So I ended up getting placed at Sodan High School. And, yep, so I <laughs> and so from 2013 to 2015, I was a college advisor at Sodan. And of course, you know, 2014, Mike Brown was murdered. Yeah. Um, and it was at that point, because I only had a two-year term, I had to think, you know, what what do I want to do in my last year? Like, what impact do I want to make? And just that really propelled me. I was very bothered by how, you know, SLPS essentially, um you know, navigated that whole thing. And, you know, mm-hmm. my students are wanting to protest, and you know, you get reprimanded if you protest. And I'm I'm not even a district employee; I'm with AmeriCorps, okay. so I'm like at the bottom of the bottom. And I'm like, mm, I'm I I got to do something. And so that's when I decided to apply to grad school. Um, I sidestepped the Brown School because I didn't think I would get in. I actually ap- applied to University College at Washington University in the nonprofit track. Did a semester and was like, mm, I don't know if this is for me. And then I ended up applying to the Brown School, okay. got in and did that full time. And so while going there full time, I started working for another college access program. And I stayed there for four years. I stayed there even after I graduated from the Brown School. Oh, wow. um, and so January of 2020, I had decided to leave that role so I could pursue storytelling full time and really immerse myself in Kinloch full time. And ironically, I left in January, by February, I had finished my rough cut. And that's when I had my community screening at the Missouri History Museum. So I'm like, clearly, okay, this is, this is how this is supposed to happen. Like I have the time to sit down and really focus on um, the film. And then of course COVID happened. And by that time I was an entrepreneur and so it really gave me like a lot of downtime to, to play around with things and to continue to learn photography. And then I also knew that we were going to be moving to Dallas. Mm-hmm. Um, and so learning that people like people love stories and just the, the the amplified all of the documentaries that started to come out and just the, the trend of social media. And that's that's how we communicate. Like that's how we, you know, as a collective. Uh, the digital world, especially because of COVID, we can't see each other in person. That's how we engage. And so I used that, my platform, like as a content creator, um, I started building out my personal brand and seeing the impact of like people support people. The reason why the film, to me, the film was so successful or the Kickstarter was so successful outside of it being an amazing story. Like people wanted to support me People who don't live in St. Louis and don't know nothing about Ken Locke I I admire her and I I dig what she's doing so I want to support what she's doing and so the importance of really um, not being afraid to put yourself out there not being afraid to share your story not being afraid to express when you need help and I think that's what has positioned me into the place that I am now. So now with my new job, I've done a lot, girl. <laughs> Last year I worked at a vegan diner for three months here in Dallas, which was really, really fun. I had never worked in food service. I have this theory that I think everybody in the world mm-hmm. should work in retail and food service at least once in their life. They yeah. should. I've I already, agree. <laughs> I've already done retail, so I already know what that's like, never going back. But mm-hmm. food service, I was like, I've never, I've never done it. So I worked there. I met Eric Badu twice.
0: Um, the pictures were amazing I think we and, all lived through
1: you during like, that time Yeah, <laughs> she put her cheek on my cheek girl but I had never you know minimum wage um and it was just for the experience like I'm a good-ass worker like I can mm-hmm. I actually ate there yesterday like the, the places that I've occupied and I no longer hold that space anymore. I can go back. Those are the relationships that I maintain and I've cultivated and i fostered. Mm-hmm. Um, and just meeting people and making them feel good over a meal. I was a teacher for five days. <laughs> for five days. Not, <laughs> not the five days. days. <laughs> I try. I try. Because, you know, I've been in education, but I've always been a support staff. Right. I never maintained, like, daily instruction. I was like, I want to I want to try it. Yeah. Um, it, it just didn't you know mm-hmm. and it wasn't it wasn't the kids it was more so teaching is hard teaching it in the is. middle of a pandemic in a state that does not believe in science mm-hmm. is even harder and so okay. the the lack of support from administration and just because stress is a huge flare factor for my autoimmune disorder once i started feeling abdominal pain after the third day i was like i'm not i'm not can't do it and and won't and so you know i talked to my husband about it because we were you know wanting we're trying to buy a house we're trying to expand our family um that extra income will be helpful um i talked to my former boss and i was like i don't think like it's still early i don't want the kids to get attached to me i'm gonna get attached to them like they can still find another employee and so i started on a wednesday by that tuesday i was like yeah i'm not coming back tomorrow yeah. and it's like I felt it's that a no. it's, it's, it's a no for me and so it wasn't until my mom uh, I was talking to my mom and she was like I'm proud of you I'm proud of you for um knowing what didn't work and not staying in there like she worked at her job AT&T for 29 it would have been 30 years she got laid off in her 29th year
0: wow right? and
1: how these companies do their loyal employees and she mm-hmm. was like would have left before she did like she that she would have had made the choice to leave rather than getting laid off um she was like no i'm proud of you because i was feeling bad i was like i don't like the concept of quitting like these kids have are already dealing with a lot in Mm -hmm. in trying to get you know educated in the middle of COVID. but had i not done that i would have never immersed myself in the world of tech and just seen what that was like and so Really getting into tech happened really, really quickly. Like I started learning about the different industries, like ed tech. So that was where I looked first. If I've already worked in education, ed tech would be next on my list. And then there's health tech, and then there's fintech, and then there's beauty tech. Um, and so I enrolled in a um certification course. I'm actually still in it through Google Coursera. So I'm oh, taking yeah. the UX UI design certification course. Um, but then I also was like, I've want to look for a job now and so mm-hmm. a friend of mine sat with me we did a resume revamp she just basically took my skill sets from those other industries and pulled out the ones that directly apply oh. to the role I was applying for and um not only that like just don't bullet point what you did like put numbers in it like mm-hmm. because of me x happened and I did x amount of things and this happened yeah um, and I- put Kinlock on there. Like I Alana raised twenty eight thousand dollars. Like I put you all You did on. that. <laughs> like, like and did. Then applied for you know the company that I'm I'm with now. And literally from the application to getting brought on was a matter of two weeks. Again, it happened so like in August when I was teaching, this was nowhere mm-hmm. on my radar no we're on my radar and so the advice that i give people you know you have the tangibles about the resume and yeah. and stuff like allow your brain to be expansive right? yeah allow i just it wasn't again i had never made more than 40k in my whole entire life the concept of tech felt very um technical in engineering and sciencey and i'm like yeah, i'm a creator. i don't i don't do these coding i don't do these numbers mm-hmm. but once you broke it down it's like a of Tech is just another industry. Every industry has a marketing department, a sales mm-hmm. department, um, an HR department, a customer success department. You don't need to know how to code. I'm a social media manager in an industry that pays me industry standards. And so mm-hmm. getting, you know, that salary and seeing it on my paycheck and being able to pay down debt, like I'm still having to convince my brand, like I'm supposed to be here. Yep, I'm supposed to be here. And you are. <laughs> and it's been it's been a wild ride and it, it allows me to be able to, you know, I can I'm, I still consider myself an entrepreneur and still working on the side and I'm not having to scrap for stuff over here that depletes me of my energy to be actually creative. Mm-hmm. Now that I know that home is essentially taken care of, I can experiment more on this side. Um, and so I've been two months in and I don't, I don't plan on going anywhere. I love it. I love to see it. Thank you for sharing.
0: We're going to take a quick break and then we come back, we'll wrap up because you just gave us a whole gym. That's the show, y'all. I'm just like, come back. (laughs) We'll be right back, y'all. All right. Welcome back. So thank you so much for sharing that. That was absolutely beautiful. And I, I'm glad somebody got to hear it from, like, another social work perspective, too, because, like, a lot of times people would downplay, like me, like, well, you're not a social worker because you're not doing X, Y, and Z, but not realizing that I've literally taken all the skill sets and just created my own vision. And that was one of the um, realizations I had for myself was because I wasn't seeing stuff, I just created it, not, like, realizing it, but, like, low-key was just like, well, I could do this it started slowly creating and then now like i said i'm 30 i'm 12 years in the industry like hmm, i guess i did create mm-hmm. my own lane huh you did? So that's I, the one
1: thing my yeah. professor said when i was i don't remember nothing else but he was like alana you're going to create your own job description that's the okay. one thing i remember Listen. i don't worry about you you're going to create your own job description <clears throat> boom because we do
0: and we do and like you said, things just start to align. I remember because I have a one of my best friends. He does uh, my PR. He pro bono for me. Just one of those people to just believe in my vision. And he was like, "It's crazy because I went to Southeast Missouri for for undergrad." And he was like, "It's crazy because at CMO you were doing all this. Like you were doing the culture and diversity trainings. You were bringing like Greek life and regular people together. You were bringing." Like literally the St. Louis folks and the Boot Hill folks together. Like you always were that person that was just doing these workshops. I never realized it. I thought it was part of my job because I was working for um, Trio during that time, and part of my mm-hmm. job was to create and facilitate these different programs. Never did mm-hmm. I realize in that moment I was doing what I was gonna be doing for the rest of my life anyway. So it um, comes glad, full circle. You know the connections. <laughs>
1: i I, I, I firmly believe that everybody has always um has experienced or accessed their Mm -hmm. uh passion at least once if it just didn't click yeah Mm -hmm.
0: and i love that so um i want to thank you for coming on the show please let us know like where we can support you where we can find you just give Mm -hmm. us all your goody
1: details Yeah, the website, www.iamalanamarie.com. I am super, super active on IG. So that handle is at I am Alana Marie. Um, The Kinlock social is at the Kinlock doc. So it's K-I-N-L-O-C-H-D-O-C.
0: Perfect. And I also put that in my my show notes. Um, But yes, is there any last minute like words of advice do you have a favorite quote or just anything you want to let the world know about mm-hmm. you
1: biggest quote for me um all you have is all you need i think Ooh. a lot of time we prohibit um our our progress because we are constantly looking for external validation external things and i'm like you gotta tap me here first Mm-hmm. And then you'll be surprised at how stuff like literally gets fallen into your path as you walk. Yes.
0: yes, I love that. Thank you so much for giving me your time, being a guest on our show. You are welcome back anytime. So anytime you have Thank a new you. project or you just want to come and chat, let me know.
1: Will You're do. welcome. You're
0: um, welcome we're wishing you the best all my listeners go follow her right now (laughs) go follow her and all that and we our quote here is love you the way you love the world so we send everybody out with that and to all my listeners thank you for being here weekly remember you can catch me every monday at 3 p.m central on total entertainment radio and y'all y'all know how i do love you the way you love the world i'll see you next monday